0: Good to see you this morning. I'm Pastor Scott Luck. and one of the pastors here and we're really glad that you are here this morning. If you're visiting, we want to welcome you and uh, it's just great to be together. If you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on, I want you to turn to Acts 17. Acts chapter 17, we're in this series called uh, Gospel Gone Viral. We've been really focused in the book of Acts for um, the past several weeks and uh, I'm just so excited to share with you today from what's in uh, Acts 17, because it's just really, really good. And uh, I, think, I think you're going to uh, like it today. And um, So Acts 17, we're going to read verses 16 through 34 today. And I'm going to invite you, if you're willing and able, why don't you stand for the reading of the Word of God today. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some, say, some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said, he seems to be preaching of foreign divinities because he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting, for, for you bring some strange things to our ears. And we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except, except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live, all, to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, yet He is actually not far from each, from each one of us. And then we're gonna skip down to verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He's fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they all heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined and believed. This is the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. All right, so Paul is in Athens, Greece. And he's at the uh, Areopagus. And what Luke does is he records this instance where the Apostle Paul is speaking to a group of people. And, um, and I think there's a lot in this passage. And I want to just kind of share with you, just, I've just been working with it. And you know, I've just kind of found four lessons that I think you and I can, can pull out of it. As it relates to our sharing Jesus every day. Just four very simple lessons. Let me, let me just go ahead and give you the four lessons and then we'll jump in. I think the first lesson we see here is that we share because we care. The reason why we share Jesus is because we care. And I think the second thing that we're going to see is that everybody believes in something. We're going to look at right from this passage. Everybody has faith in something. Everybody believes something. The third lesson we're going to see is how important it is when we're sharing Jesus just to ask questions of them. We're going to look at that. And then lastly, we're going to see the fourth lesson, and that is that we want to, we want to point people to Jesus, obviously. All right, so let's look at this. The first one is this. The reason why we share is because we care. Go back and look at verse 16, and let's, let's just start unpacking this just for a minute. Now, Uh, notice what Luke writes. He says, now Paul was waiting for them at Athens. All right, so he's in Athens, Greece. Let's just, let's just stop there for a minute. Athens, Greece is kind of the intellectual capital of the world. It used to be kind of the political capital, but no more. That's kind of shift to Rome. But, but Athens very much still is an intellectual capital. So this is the, this is kind of home base for Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. So in your mind, in my mind, just think, Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, and Notre Dame, all rolled into one. That's that's Athens, Greece. That's where he is, the intellectual capital of the world. But not only is it the intellectual capital of the world, it's the art and cultural capital of the world. But not only that, it's the sports capital of the world, believe it or not. So Athens has the largest stadium, and this is where the Olympic Games originated, right here in Athens, in Athens, Greece. So that's where Paul is. We've located him, and and he's kind of observing what's going on. Now, notice what 16 also says. His spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Now, this is a this is an interesting observation that he makes. It's it's not only, Athens, Greece is not only an, you know, an intellectual capital, it is the religious capital of the world. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Athens. I've not. My brother-in-law has been there several times. And what he says is everywhere you go, there's some ruins of a temple left behind. So different worship temples were erected to the gods of Zeus and Apollyon and athena and so everywhere you go you can't swing a dead cat without hitting some temple in athens so it's a very very religious place in fact one of the commentators that i read you know basically said it was easier to find a god in athens than it was a man that's how religious this place was now just to kind of characterize their worship there was a lot of temple prostitution involved in you know the worship of the gods here there was a lot of sacrifices made uh, to the gods there so this is you know this is um, this is this is kind of a rough place even though it's very very religious and the typical person who's walking downtown Athens sees all of these temples and sees all of this worship going on they're going to have one of two reactions The first thing is they they could be seduced by it and say, man, this looks amazing. I'm just going to jump into the worship here. That'd be one reaction. Another reaction would be that you'd be so repulsed by it that you would just write those people off and exit the city as, as as quickly as you can. Now, do you know what Paul's response was? He was neither seduced by this, nor repulsed to the to the level that he just wrote them off and exited the city. What the Bible clearly says, what Luke tells us is he was provoked by this. He was absolutely provoked by what he saw. Now we're gonna we're gonna look at that in just a minute, but but I think the question I think for us today, as we kind of think about you know, idolatrous structures in central Indiana today, here's the question: what's your response? to those to the idolatrous structures that we have erected what's your response you know Tim Keller talks about he, Tim Keller is a pastor and he talks about how you know in in the the, the biggest structures in any city usually point to the idols that are worshipped in that city so let's just think about that in our context Let's think about downtown Indianapolis in Salesforce Tower, all right? Think of that as a temple. What's worship there? Money, right? Materialism, human achievement, business success. These are all gods that are a part of our culture and a part of worship of a lot of people in central Indiana. What about, not Salesforce Tower, but what about Lucas Oil Stadium? Have you ever considered that place as a temple? Think about what's worshipped there. Fame. Entertainment. uh, Celebrity, you know, celebrity status. All of those things are part of the idolatry that the culture that we're a part of worships. A little bit closer to home... What about what's worshipped? That Mrs. Curl, um, maybe the idol of ice cream. I don't know. Now here's the thing. What's your response to those? You know, it's okay to be impressed by those. I don't think that's it's wrong to be impressed by them. But I think at some point for the Christian, for the Christ follower. There should be something within us that's provoked by it. Because the reality is those structures are taking away from the glory of God and they're aiming it at the glory of man. And I think for the Christian, that should bother him or her. Does that make sense? So you've got this dual thing going. In one way, you're kind of impressed by what you see. But in another way, you're burdened because God's glory is being taken away from him and directed at at something else and so and so some people are seduced by those things and some people are repulsed and 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 you know want to just totally reject those things and 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 they basically say you know you know it's a heck with the world I'm just going to reject that and I think both of those responses are not in line with the gospel I think what's in line with the gospel is we should be provoked. We should be we should be angered to the point where we are burdened. You know, we're we, we're we're just bothered by that. So let me let me just let me dig this out a little bit further. Look at look at verse 17, and and you see his reaction. You see Paul's reaction to a city full of idols, and it says this: So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So Paul was. Paul's not just made angry, but he's, provo- he's provoked to action. He takes a step. He does something. And what he does is he shares the gospel because that's the only thing that cures idol worship. And what he says specifically is he goes to the synagogue, and that's usually his starting place. He would start with devout Jews. He would reason from them from the scriptures saying, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of your scriptures. That's where he'd start. But he wouldn't, he wouldn't just stay there exclusively. He would go to the marketplace. He would go to the agora, if you will, which is kind of like, you know, just think of, we kind of think of a marketplace as, you know, the checkout line at Target for the most part. But really in, in antiquity, in ancient Greece, they would, have, you know, they would have different shops, and in the middle of these shops, they'd have these common areas, and people would hang out there and just talk about religion and politics and uh, you know, all of the taboo topics today. But people would actually hang out and discuss the latest philosophies and the latest ideas. And I think the question is this, what motivated Paul to go and reason with them? What was it that, that caused him to do that? I would submit to you, church, he's not getting rich off this. In fact, what we know from the Apostle Paul is for the most part he supported himself. So he's not, it's not a financial gain that he gets out of this. He gets nothing out of it. And he's not trying to do this because he wants to be famous. Because what you see through the book of Acts is just about every city he went in the empire and he started sharing, Jesus, a riot broke out. That's not a great way to, you know, climb the you know the stairs to fandom if you will. I think what's driving him is he understands the brokenness in people's lives that idolatry produces. And I think he's moved with compassion and love for the people that he's trying to reason with. And I think the principle for you and me is this. We share Jesus because we care. That's it. That's what motivates us to share. That's what motivates us to take a risk, you know, to to step out there and to share Jesus. Why? Because idolatry destroys marriages, it destroys families, and it destroys our relationships with God. And there is a wake, a destructive wake in its path. And that should move us to compassion. Now, I know that, you know, I know that there are some of you that are not Christians, I get that, and I know that you, you hear these messages that I'm bringing, and your thought and your mind is, I just don't know why Christians have to think that they've got to go out and convert everybody. Why can't, we just, why can't we just leave people alone and let them believe and do what they want to do and believe? And what I would say to that is this, the love of Christ compels us. And love for you compels us. You know, think about it just from our perspective. If we really believe that God became flesh, that, that, that that you know, God took on human flesh, that he lived and he died and he rose, how could we not tell people about that? That through Jesus Christ, you and I could have forgiveness of sins, that through Jesus, you and I could experience, you know, um, a relationship and intimacy with god that that our our eternity and his love and 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 his blessing could be secure I mean how could we not tell people about that? you know uh, I was reading about a las vegas entertainer i, I don 't know if you 've ever heard of him His name is Penn Gillette and um he is a comedian he 's an illusionist and he performs a, a great deal on the on the strip in vegas and um and there was he tells about on, on his video blog, and this is this is on YouTube, so you can go look it up, but he, he talks about a time when this Christian businessman approached him after one of his shows. Now, the thing about Penn Gillette, you guys, is he is an atheist. He is not a Christian. He's very outspoken about his disbelief in God. But so this Christian businessman loved his show, came up to him after the show, met him, introduced himself to him, and handed him a Bible. And, and Penn Gillette was really touched by this Christian. And in this, in this video blog of his, he reflects on the guy talking to him, and he said he looked him right in the eye. He said this Christian wasn't defensive at all. He was just genuine. He was authentic. He said, you know, you, just, you could just tell he's just, he really cared. And, and, it, and it really dawned on Penn Gillette as an atheist that a Christian that doesn't share the gospel must really hate other people. That's what he said. That was his conclusion. That Christians that don't, that don't share Jesus with others, we, we really must be hating them if we're not sharing. Let, let, me give you, let me give you the transcript of what he said. He said this, and I quote, he said, I've always said, you know, that I do not respect people who do not evangelize. I do not respect Christians who do not evangelize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe there's a heaven and hell and that people could be going there, or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, well, uh, it's really not worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't evangelize say, just leave me alone, you know, uh, just keep your religion to yourself. uh, How much do you have to hate somebody not to evangelize them? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible but you're not going to tell them about it. I mean, if you believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to, you know, to hit, you know, to hit you and and you didn't believe it and that truck was bearing down on you, he says, there's a certain point where I would have to tackle you. And this is more important than than a truck hitting you, he said, end of quote. Now, what's his point? He's not even a Christian, but he understands that for a Christian not to evangelize, that's like hating them. Because if we really believe in the salvation that Jesus offers, we can't but tell the world about Jesus. So that's the heart of it. That's why we're doing Invite Your One. It's, you guys, this is not a, an attendance gimmick. It's not a church growth hack it's, we just want people to come to Christ. That's it. That's it. So we, we share because we care. I think the second lesson we learn is that everybody believes in something. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but everybody believes in something. Look, look with me at verse 22, what, what the Apostle Paul says, where Luke says that Paul says here. He says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropicus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. It's a great observation. You guys, everybody believes something. Everybody's religious. Everybody is. You know, uh, it may not be, it it may not be a formal belief. It certainly may not be faith in some kind of organized religion, but everybody has faith. Everybody does. Let me, let me kind of put it to you this way. Every person has to answer the most important questions of life. Where did we come from? Where are we going? What's my purpose in life? Is there a creator? And is there life after death? We all have to answer those questions. Everybody does. You can't live life without at least having the beginning of an answer to those questions. You can't. Everybody's answered it. And so the secularist, the Satanist, the atheist, and the Christian all have one thing in common they all live by faith. Every single one of them. They have faith in different things, they have different objects of faith, but they all live by faith. And so, an atheist that says there, there is no God, you know, she can't prove that. There's no way you can prove that. You know, the the secular humanist that says there's not life after death, he can't prove that either. It's all, you guys, it's all a bet. We're all making a bet. And you got to bet on something. We're all in this. And so it's just my point that Christianity is the most logical bet of all. It just makes sense. And Paul understood this about the people he was talking to he understood it look at verse 23 I love this now there's so much here for I for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God all right so they've got temples dedicated to the worship of Zeus and Apollyon and Athena and and you know hundreds other gods but they also know that there's an unknown God out there that they don't know, and they don't want to leave un- any, any stone unturned. So they build an altar to him and, and worship him through that, even though they don't even know who they're, who they're worshiping. I mean, they were thorough. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, man, they just covered, uh, dotted every I and crossed every T. Now, I love this because what he's doing is he's saying, look at it again, verse 23. He says this, I passed along and I observed. So what he's doing is he's just kind of walking through the city and he's, he's observing them. He's getting into their world. He wants to understand where they're coming from and who they are. And he's listening to them and he's making observations and he wants to understand what is their worldview? What is it that they believe? And he's, what he's doing is he's stepping into their perspective. And I... I think that Christians should be the best listeners and the and the best observers on the planet. Because that's exactly what Paul is doing. And so he brings it up and he says, you know, I've even noticed that you guys have an altar dedicated to an unknown God. And he's not condemning them for that. He's really affirming them for that. He's saying that I, I, I see that you have worked to answer the questions that everybody has to answer and I think that's good he's affirming their search for the God that they know exists but they just don't know how to reach him and get to him and he affirm he affirms uh, that you know to them and I, I just I think that's a testimony too to what Romans 1 talks about how you know general revelation that God has revealed himself in creation and we know in our hearts that God exists just by the sheer majesty the sheer beauty of creation the sheer design of creation and so and so you see that in work in a very idolatrous place they still know that God exists even though they don't they don't really know anything about him I find that just fascinating. Now look at, verse, look at verse 23 and what he says in response to that. He says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So he's, he's, what he's saying is, is, is this. He's saying, you know that God exists. You just don't know him. Let me tell you about him because he can be known. That's what he's telling them. And so, and so what Paul is trying to do, and I, th- I think the principle for you and for me, as we realize that everybody has faith, everybody believes something, what you and I need to do as we're sharing Jesus is find common ground with other people. Find common ground in what they believe. That's what he's doing. They worship an unknown God. Paul's saying, hey, I worship God too. Let me tell you about him." We have that in common. That's the starting point. We can build off that. Let, let me give you a couple of examples on this. Um, you know, it's fascinating when you think about like, a, you know, somebody that's a, a radical environmentalist. Okay, when you, when you think of somebody as, you know, just kind of so passionate about the environment and the care for the environment and, uh, you know, reducing carbon emissions and dealing with plastic and, you know, pollutants and that kind of thing. When you think of someone that's a radical environmentalist. Typically, and this is not always the case, there are exceptions, obviously, but a lot of radical environmentalists are naturalists. And a naturalist is somebody that says that the supernatural really doesn't exist. And they recognize that the the universe is run by laws of nature and science. And so what they say is that God doesn't exist, eternity doesn't exist. If God does exist, he's not active in the world. And the only thing that really works in the world is you know the laws of science and nature and so many not all many radical environmentalists you know believe that and so that obviously would fuel their passion to take care of the earth because they think the earth is all that there is now that makes sense but here's the interesting thing and maybe you don't realize this as a Christian but do you know that do you know that God called Adam and Eve and subsequently all of us to care for the environment. That is totally biblical. It's in Genesis that you and I have been called to be stewards of the earth. It's called in theology creation care. And so, and so what you have is you have a biblical case that God has created heaven, the heavens and the earth and he's created it good and he's called Adam and Eve to cultivate it, to steward it, and to care for it. We should be environmentalists. Now that may stretch you politically. I I have no idea. But here, but but the point is this: we you have common ground with somebody who says there is no God, but they really believe in taking care of the environment. You got something to build on. Does that make sense? Or how about this? You know, you'll know people that are really passionate about social justice. They're passionate about taking care of the poor, the oppressed, the refugee the immigrant right uh which is a lot in the news today so you find people that you know really want to work to to care for people that people should be you know treated with dignity and respect and um and and so they're they're very passionate about social justice they want to end racism and sexism and misogyny and and all of this stuff well do you know that the foundation for that is right in scripture did you know that that it was that it's God's word that we get the idea that, that that all men and women are created equal and that they have they are you know they have dignity and worth and value. Why? Because they're image bearers of God, and that's why we, we're not racist, and that's why we're not sexist, and that's why we should care for one another. That's totally scripture. But what you find is a lot of non-Christians, what they do is hijack the Christian faith, you know, and pull things out of the Christian faith to support their worldview because their worldview can't stand on its own. And so what you want to do is find that common ground. And I think that's what Paul is doing here by referring to this unknown God. Let me tell you about him. We got that in common. Let me take you one step further. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? And so what you find is everybody believes something. But we need to find out what they believe, right? And we do it because we care. Now, here's the third one. Let's go a step further with this. I think what Paul is doing here in the lesson that we get, thirdly, is that we need to ask questions. Go back up to verse 17. Let me show you this. Let's just ground this in the text. So verse 17 says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, that word reason is very important. Because the word reason in Greek is dialogue. So when I stand up and talk about you you sharing Jesus, typically we think of, oh, he's asking me to go preach a sermon to a group of people. And I'm really not. Paul's not preaching here. He's not monologuing like I am right now, right? I mean, that's my calling. That's what I do. But he's not monologuing. He's dialoguing. Which means, which means he's in a conversation. Do you guys want to know the secret to being a great evangelist? Do you want to know the secret to sharing Jesus? Here it is, okay? I should write a book on this. This would be awesome. Because uh, a lot of us think, i got to know scripture, you know. And we think, oh, I don't know scripture that well, so I could never be an evangelist. You know, you gotta have verses memorized. I don't have a lot of verses memorized, so I could never be an evangelist. You know, I don't know all the arguments for Christianity, so I can't be an evangelist. I'll just be quiet. None of those are the secret. None of those. Now, they help, obviously, right? I mean, if you know some scripture, that helps you, right? If you know some arguments, that helps you. Um, you, you know, all of that helps. But the secret is this the secret to being a good evangelist is learning to ask questions. Just learning to ask questions. That is really the secret. And that's what he's doing. He is dialoguing with them. He's, he's not preaching to them. He's just asking them questions, and it's kind of a give and take. And that really is the secret to, to sharing Jesus. Now, I want to recommend a book to you. It's, um, it's, it's a book called Greg, uh, Tactics by Greg Kokel. All right? And in that book, he gives three scenarios. And i just want to present them to you guys just for your your thought today all right so just to kind of illustrate what i'm talking about so let's think about this first scenario um the first scenario is this you're having you're having s- some folks over from church at your house for dinner and um the dinner conversation is going well you're talking about a range of different topics dinner's just great you guys are having a really good time and your 21 year old daughter is there and at the end of the conversation because you're talking about spiritual things she says, she just throws a bomb out there. She says this, well, you know what? I'm an atheist, and there's no proof for the existence of God. I don't even think belief in God is rational. That's your daughter. And you're like, dang, I didn't even know all that was going on. Like, when did this happen? You know what I mean? Which is total parenting. You know, I mean, it totally is. Because um, that's how it goes most of the time. But w- So here's the question. What would you do? What are you going to say at that point? You know, there's the awkward silence over the room. Everybody's kind of looking around. What do you say? You got about 10 seconds. You got to do something. You got to be quick on your feet. What do you do? How about you're in your D group, right? Your discipleship group, your small group, and there's a newcomer there. And the newcomer, you know, you kind of talking about the lesson. Then all of a sudden the newcomer says, I don't know why you Christians think Christianity is better than every, every other religion. You know, the essence of Jesus' teaching is love, which is the essence of every other religion. You shouldn't be telling other people what to believe and how to act. Like, boom, right in the middle of your D group. What do you do? What do you say at that point? 911, Pastor Scott, can you come over here right now? Can you? <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> I mean, you can call. That's not going to be very effective, but what would you do you're walking across the IUPUI campus or Whiteland High School's campus you're carrying your bible another student comes up to you sees your bible and says that's the bible that's full of interesting stories I've read the bible but you know what you can't take it too seriously because it's just a book written by men and men make mistakes what do you say what do you say to that you got about 10 seconds to figure out how you're going to handle those. This is real situation. This is just everyday life. This is just it every day. So you want to be a good witness. You want to be an ambassador. You want to answer the question, right? You, you, you want to do all of that. You want, to, you want to send the awkwardness out of the room. What do you do? You ask a question. You ask a question, all right? So you're at their dinner party, and your 21-year-old says, you know— um, I'm an atheist. I don't think it's rational to believe in God. Um, There's no proof for his existence. What do you say? Here's what I would say I would ask a question and say, What kind of proof do you need? I would ask, What's irrational about believing in God? I'd take the pressure that's put on you and hand it right back to them. You're in your D group. And your D group, your new D group member says, why do you Christians think Christianity is better than all other religions? You know, the essence of all religion is teaching people, you know, just loving people. We shouldn't be telling other people how to live and what to believe. What would you say? You know what you'd say? You'd say this. By telling me not to tell people what to believe and how to live, aren't you telling me what to believe and how to live? You guys get that? Your D group member is just telling you how to act and what to believe. They're doing the very thing they're saying is wrong. You know, you, you just put it right back on them. You ask them a question. Uh, well, you can't take the Bible seriously because it's written by men and, and uh, men make mistakes. You could say, uh, Do you have any books at home? Yeah. Uh, who wrote those books? Uh, men and women? um is truth in those books or is there some truth in those books yeah so what you're saying is uh we can't take the bible too seriously because it's it's written by men uh, and they make mistakes but you've got books at home and they're written by men and you take them seriously why the discrepancy there now i'm not trying to be snarky right i'm not i'm not trying to be a smart aleck but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it right back on them. I'm going to ask them a question. And what happens is questions give an invitation to deeper conversation. They give you time to think, and they, and they, they take the conversation deeper, and they get them talking. And so, so that's what I love. I remember I went to the mall. One of the occasions I went to the mall, and I, so I'll just go up to people and And i'll say i know this is kind of a weird i'll go up to somebody i don't even know go up to somebody and say hey i know this is kind of a weird question but but i'm just curious what for your for your opinion on this what do you think happens after you die and uh and so you know i've never had anybody you know reject me because i think people are interested in that topic and so this guy told me he said i think you kind of float out in this outer space and then eventually you become reincarnated but before that, he said, he said, I'm not really sure, but I think you float into space and become reincarnated. So then I asked him, wouldn't you like to be sure? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, there's one person who lived and died and rose, who told us what it's like after death, and his name is Jesus. And you guys, I didn't reach him. For, I didn't pray with him. That, and he didn't accept Christ right there. He really didn't. But you know what I did? Is I planted a seed and I gave him something to think about. And, the, and what I gave him to think about is Jesus. So now he knows that there was one person who died and, and came back to life to tell us what happens after death. All right, let me give you two questions that work every time. Okay? Two questions. If I'm going to spend some time with non-Christians, I, this is my plan going in, all right? I'm going to ask two questions. If the conversation, listen to me, if the conversation turns to spiritual things, I'm going to ask, the one of, I'm going to ask both of these questions. What do you mean by dot, dot, dot? So they'll, they'll throw out some religious statement, whatever it might be, and I'm going to say, what do you mean by that? And then the second question I'm going to ask is, how did you arrive at that conclusion? And I'm just going to let them talk, and I'm going to listen and observe, and I'm going to look for common ground. Does that make sense? What do you mean, and how did you arrive at that conclusion? So when people say, and I'll hear this, you know, just kind of out and about, well, all religions lead to God, Um, so all religions lead to the same place. I would say, what do you mean by that? And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll give me an answer, and I'll say, well, you know, and it gives me time to ask a follow-up question. Um, you know, how do you arrive at that conclusion? Because it sounds like you've studied all the religions. Uh, have you actually done that? Have you studied all the religions? Do you know? Uh, you seem to be emphasizing the similarities. What about the drastic differences? And so just, you just put it back on them, let them explain, and then what will happen is the inconsistencies come out. In their belief, because people are very inconsistent in what they're thinking and believing. All right, so how about this one? This is kind of an interesting one. Uh, most secular pl- people believe in human rights. Most secular people that, that are atheists, they don't believe in God, they believe in human rights. They, they believe in human freedom, that men and women should be treated you know, equally, uh, that we all should uh, be, be treated with dignity, that it's not right for a strong and powerful country to invade and take over a weak country. That's not right. It's not right for a strong person to take advantage of a weak person. That's not right. But at the same time, they will say that we evolved from apes, that we are the product of natural selection, that uh, it's all about the survival of the fittest. In other words, all of nature is about the strong survive and they take advantage of the weak. But then they say, when it comes to people relating to each other, we shouldn't do that. That's a contradiction. Because what's our basis? For believing that what's our basis for believing that God doesn't exist but at the same time we should love one another see because God exists that's why we love one another because he said so does that make sense it's kind of like the Russian philosopher I forget who, who said this but he said this man descended from apes therefore let us love one another it's a joke it is um it, it's, it doesn't make sense. We're all products of natural solu- you know, selection, survival of the fittest. Therefore, let us love one another. doesn't make sense. Well, the Bible is full of contradictions. I say, well, what do you mean by a contradiction? How did you arrive at that conclusion? Can you name one contradiction? And I'm telling you, they can't. They just heard it somewhere. And what I would say is this. I would say, you know, on State Road 37, if there's a car accident and five different people saw it as eyewitnesses, I guarantee you they would give us varying accounts of what happened based on their viewpoint and perspective. Those variations do not count as contradictions, but there are some differences there. That's what I would say. So you just get them talking. You ask questions. I guarantee you that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. And you'll find such joy and fulfillment because we're talking about ultimate things. You know, we spend so much time talking about the weather and sports and politics, you know, sometimes. But this, these, these are the questions of life. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Here's the last one. Point people to Jesus. Look with me at verse, at verse uh, actually skip down to verse 30 and let me just show you this. Um, Paul's giving them his talk. He's kind of going into a little bit of a monologue here. He's been Q&A with him, but, but notice verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. He's talking about Jesus. So he's bringing the conversation to Jesus. That's his goal. All right, And, and of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he really takes a jump from an unknown God to, let me tell you about the known God, he's known through Jesus Christ, and Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And so, so the heart of this is this, that the question is not, does Christianity have the best explanation? The question is, is Christianity divine revelation? That's the question. The question is all about who is Jesus Christ. And so you want to point people to him. He lived, and he died. He he really lived, and he was crucified by the Romans, and he died, and he's not in his tomb. The question is, what are you going to do with him? What are you going to do with Jesus? He's either a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he was Lord. You've heard that one before. Now, let me finish with this. Look at... uh, Look at how they responded. This is so real, you guys. I I just love this. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Now, I, I love the reason why I love that and the reason why I say this is real is because nobody got saved that day. Nobody got saved. There were three different responses. Some people mocked him. Some people said, We want to think on this a little bit. We'd like to hear you later. Well, That's very common. And then later, other people joined him. That's real. That's real life right there. And so a lot of times what we're doing as we're sharing Jesus is we're just planting seeds and watering those seeds. God does the saving. We do the sharing. God does the saving. We do the asking of questions. You know, we do the finding of common ground. We do the loving of people. We do those things. We do the pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves. So we don't have to worry about results. And we don't have to worry about fruit. And we don't have to worry about you know, trying to save people. God is the one who saves them. And he will, he will do it in his time and in his way. And so I just want to challenge you, church, to take a step and live on mission. Go beyond, your, go beyond yourself. And at least, the beginning point at least is, to begin issue an invitation to say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? Why don't you come? That's a great way to get it started, a great way. Let's pray together. So God, we just thank you for your love and your goodness and we thank you for the Apostle Paul and his love for people. And so God, I pray that you would, you would give us that same love, that same care and compassion for people, that we would be willing to step out and share you with others. Father, I pray that you would, that you would move us to this very step, that we, would, that we would be bold for you. And we thank you, God, and we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen.